0: The True Ambition Podcast with John Zink is brought to you by IT Avalon. IT Avalon, IT staffing and professional services done right. Visit our sponsor at itavalon.com. Now, welcome to True Ambition.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the True Ambition podcast. My name is John Zink and I'm very happy to be joined today by Mr. Harry Mosley, Global CIO of Zoom Video Communications and uh, former CIO of KPMG. Harry, thanks for being with me today.
0: Hey John and Zach, terrific to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. So where are you joining us from today? Uh, New York, uh, about 20 miles north of Manhattan. Um, you know, let's see, about uh, 14 inches of snow sitting outside. <laughs> Seems to be sort of like just uh, constant snow. It snowed on the weekend. It snowed last night. It's going to snow tomorrow night. I, I don't know. It's kind of like it's just going to snow all the time. Well, I own an IT staffing
1: company. One of my uh, sales guys is out in Philadelphia, and he told me they got about eight inches of snow last night, and they just been. it sounds like he just been getting... Uh, Every other couple of days, you've been getting uh, walloped out there with snow. So, yeah, quite the winter, quite the winter. I don't miss it anymore.
0: <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, I, I keep telling my wife March is coming, and she says, "But hey, it's kind of like we've had snowstorms in April. I know, but March is coming. It's going to be good. Trust me." <laughs> Power of positive thinking. There you go.
1: So, um, can you tell us a bit about your history and kind of uh, the road that led you to Zoom?
0: Sure. So you know, it's um. I mean, how long do we have? It's like <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, grew up in Ireland. Uh, studied at Trinity, degrees in math, computer science, engineering. Left Ireland two days after I graduated in seventy seven. Spent a year in engineering, then pivoted to uh, technology in seventy eight. Uh, came to the U.S. in seventy nine. Uh, spun up my own startup, although it wasn't called a startup in 81, sold out of that in 84. Uh, joined UBS and UBS merged with Swiss bank corporation. So I decided that I didn't want to be part of the new entity and, uh, took my, took my chances, ended up at Credit Suisse. Um, uh, spent, uh, 14 years at UBS, five years at Credit Suisse, went on to spend seven years at Blackstone, five years at KPMG. And so in December, as you quite rightly noted, I retired. Um, In December of 2017, having spent 40 years working, I decided I wanted to do something different with the remainder of my life. Um, uh, Zoom was not part of the plan and getting a job was not part of the plan, but uh, they called me a few days after they heard I retired. Not because I had done anything with Zoom, but I knew some of the people that worked at Zoom. They knew me and um, had an interesting discussion with several executives and members of the board. And, you know, back then, January of 2018, I remember the conversation. You know, the need to collaborate locally, nationally, and globally has always been a challenge. And whilst Whilst we were able to uh, do it, uh, it wasn't seamless and it wasn't frictionless. And when I understood Eric Yuan's vision for what he wanted to create around Zoom, I thought, okay, you know, I can see how this is going to be different to the other players out there because there was a lot of competition back then. There still is. And um, they understood how our technology architecture was dramatically different. And I thought to myself, okay, you know what? Let's hit the pause button on retirement. I'm going to come over here with Eric and um, uh, other members of the team and have some fun, and let's see, what, let's see what we can do with this company. And so here we are three years later. Uh, you know, we're, uh, When I joined, we were 800 employees. Now we're north of 3,800 employees as of Q3. We went from 10 million daily meeting participants to um, 300 million daily meeting participants. We went from 100 billion annualized meeting minutes to over 3 trillion annualized meeting minutes um, you know our Q3 revenue was 777.2 million which represents 367% year on year growth and we service you know great enterprises around the world every industry you can imagine education sector we have 125,000 schools in 25 countries on the platform and um government organizations helping them run their countries and uh you know and then you've got a lot of you know sort of people doing yoga classes and guitar lessons and happy hours happy, ha- well, yeah happy hours you know which is my favorite part of the day <laughs> <laughs> sometimes too <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, birthday parties, what have you? You know, the Queen of England had her birthday. You know, had our birthday on Zoom. So I
1: talk about uh, my my mom, who's back in Northwest Illinois. You know, she has her church service on there. She has different groups that she gets together. And before the pandemic, she had never heard of Zoom. And I think that's a it's a really you know now it's a household name. Where before people like myself, um, tech savvy folks, knew of Zoom. All of a sudden, you know, this pandemic hits and, you know, people are intuitive and will find a way to, um, you know, work with others and try to get together somehow. If you can't have that human interaction, you've got to have something. And, you know, talk about right place, right time, right technology. I mean, Zoom was just there to fill that void so quickly that everybody needed because, I've been on those church services with my mom back in Illinois. It's something I wouldn't have done prior to the pandemic, which was see all these people that I grew up with back in this church, back in Illinois. And it made my mom happy, you know? So yeah. there's these little pieces, these little nuggets of goodness that come out of these uh, tough times. I bet you've seen that a
0: lot. Yes, it's, um, you know, it's like, you know, for sure, the world uh, could have done without COVID-19. That being said, it is what it is. It's like, you know, we, we can't control that. Uh, so you've got to look for the silver linings. And, you know, and as I speak to many executives around the world, you know, sort of um, the, <coughs> excuse me, uh, the general perspective is that COVID-19 accelerated the trajectory that many companies were on anyway. When you look at sort of retail, John, it's kind of like, you know, the notion of groceries, I mean You know used to go to the grocery store um you know my wife pulls out her iphone and sort of tap 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 and then you know an hour and a half later the doorbell rings and bingo you know the strawberries are here it's kind of you know so you know that's changed right retail has changed financial services has changed professional services changed, education has changed medicine has changed everything has changed there isn't anything that hasn't changed it's um Now, when you think about digital transformation um, as my colleague uh, Annabelle puts it you know digital transformation 1.0 was about you know what does the human do versus what does the machine do and now we're getting into digital transformation 2.0 which is what do we have to do in person versus what can we do virtually and you know you think about that it's like you look at some of the innovations we just announced last week I think it was last week maybe two weeks ago um, the the virtual receptionist the notion of when you go into an office building you know there's a receptionist there to greet you or well, you know why do you know and you have one on every floor so you got five receptionists well why does that why do we have to have five so now you can have a virtual receptionist you walk up to a pane of glass you can check in you can have your temperature monitored the virtual receptionist can cover five floors can cover five buildings could actually you know not act not even be in a building could actually be at home And be at home in another country. Hmm. So it's, uh, you know, and people are looking more and more about, well, what can we do virtually? I was uh, uh, talking to the CIO for a healthcare company earlier today about they're they're exactly on that journey. What can we do virtually? And the last point is, um, when you think about sort of the office, the office, the, the sort of what we do in the office is changing because people you know, can work from home, very effectively work from home, great productivity in working from home. So what is the purpose of the office? The purpose of the office is changing such that it's where people come together where they need to work together. So they'll come together for a day in the office to work on something, and then they'll go home to actually you know, do their individual work. So it's, uh, the landscape is changing, and I think it's uh, pretty exciting.
1: Well, let's go back to, um, when you first, uh, came into zoom. So first question is, were you enjoying retirement or were you thinking about, well, maybe I need to go back in and do something else. Kind of where, where, where was your head at
0: back then? Oh, that's a great question. (laughs) uh, Retirement didn't turn out to be anything like I thought it was going to be, uh, I, you know, was still getting up early in the morning and, you know, I had a complete calendar. I remember one day, I think it was in January, and my wife called me and said, What time are you going to be home for dinner? And I go, Sweetheart, it's kind of like I'm in San Francisco. And she goes, What? I said, Yeah, I told you yesterday. It's like, you know, I was going to San Francisco tomorrow. And you said, Okay. It's like, I said, hey, When are you back? I said, I'll be back, you know, tomorrow. And, you know, it's, uh, so I was, you know, my, my retirement was uh, the short period I had was relatively hectic. And <laughs> I'm not sure, I'm not sure why when I think back about it, you know, sort of total, you know, I'm totally honest with you. I think it's because of my DNA. And as some of my friends say, it's like you weren't ready for retirement because you've got sort of too much energy, too much passion, too much enthusiasm. I'm the guy who sees the glass half full. How, how can I fill it up? Uh, so yeah, it's, um, it was, uh, next time I get to retire, I'm going to try harder. <laughs> well, I've got a, I got a good friend of mine up in Tahoe, uh, who he
1: was one of the founders of Home Depot. His name's Pat Farah. And, uh, I'd sit down and, uh, just talk to him while I started my company up and, uh, I would try to get morsels of information off of him about, you know, anything. Cause he's, he's, he has a plethora of knowledge and, uh, he told me, whatever you do, don't retire. He goes, it's, it's not it's not who you are. I don't care what you think. You can't spend all your time on a golf course. It's not who you are. He goes, I, I've retired three times, and I hate it all three times that I did it. So it's just, it's one of those things that when I talk to people that uh, have been through it before, I, I usually find out that, uh, you know, it's, it's not all it's cracked up to be for, you know, people like us who are motivated to go out and uh, make a difference in the world.
0: Yeah, but, uh, you know, it's, um, I certainly don't want to be like my dad, uh, you know, who worked till the day he died, full disclosure, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and uh, as a good friend of mine, Stephen told me, it's kind of like, you know, he asked me, what's my definition of retirement? So I said, you know, I'll do some work with some private equity firms, do some not-for-profit work, you know, sort of join a couple of boards. And he said, no, Harry, that's not retirement. That's like, that's just like continuous work it's just a different nature and you're getting compensated differently. Retirement is when you have no obligations to anybody, but your family and your friends. And so I, that was about two years ago. And so as we went through the early part of the pandemic, uh, I came to the realization that, you know, I missed out a great part of my life, uh, quite honestly, um, you know, missed out spending time, quality time with my kids when they were growing up, missed that. I mean, you just said you have a two year old. It's like, you know, I used to, when early, much earlier in my career, I'm an empty nester now, but earlier in my career, I used to be out the door while they were still asleep and I'd get home when they were asleep again. So, you know, I missed that huge part. And it's like, now my uh, my, uh, daughter lives in Baltimore, my eldest son lives in Zurich, Switzerland, and my younger son is in Monterey, California. And so, you know, when I, next time I retire, my plan is to spend a lot more time with my kids. They might not want me, but I intend to spend time with them. So I'll, fi- I'll find I'll find ways to make it interesting for them.
1: Well, it's something else that really, uh, I think a lot has changed with people's um, priorities through COVID as well because that two and a half year old that I have at home named Johnny I've got to spend so much more time with him because of it. I wake up with him in the morning. I put him to bed each night. You know, I'm still working just as many hours as I did before, but there's no travel involved. You know, there, there's, I, I, I've been on a plane twice since uh, COVID hit. Uh, before that, I don't know how many times I was traveling, you know, and missing all those things. So behind, all of the things that have gone down with covid there's so many blessings if you just take the blinders off and uh you know Absolutely. have a chance to look at them
0: well, i know you're the one asking the questions but i can't help myself so i i get to ask at least one please so my question so my question to you john is in the post-pandemic world uh how frequently do you think you travel versus the pre-pandemic world
1: i don't i i, I would say a quarter as much. And it's the same thing for, you know, my company as well. You know, I, I don't have to be in front of a client to close a deal anymore. And I think that's the big thing that uh, uh, the pandemic has opened up. Not only do you not have to be face to face with someone, uh, which saves money, saves time, saves resources. Um, the trust issue that was there before has now fizzled away. You know, so I'm in the staffing business. I have IT contractors that are all over the country. And I had so many managers who didn't trust the fact that they could have someone working remotely. They had to be on site. That also is all gone. So there, there's a whole lot of things that, you know, like I said before, um, yes, it sucks that COVID happened and it's still happening, but there's so many great things that have come out of it that are yeah. gonna make the world a better place because of it. Because you know, when when the when a person and when people are forced to make a hard decision, something good comes out of it, and that's exactly what's happened.
0: Yeah, well, you're absolutely you are so right, and the trust element is you know sort of right up there. You know, it's like you're not managing people anymore; you're managing work. It's like you know, Eric Yuan, our CEO and founder, mm-hmm. he doesn't care when I work. As long as I get the job done. That's it. So, you know, it's kind of like I had to drop the package off at UPS earlier today. So, you know, jumped in the car, ran down to the UPS store, dropped off a package and came back. It's like, you know, but if I was can't do that sort of stuff when you're in the office. Um, so it's uh, trust is a really big part of it. So question about Zoom. So when you started there, uh,
1: I looked at some of the places that you were at before. I would say that that's a hugely different culture than uh, the places you had worked at before, as far as uh, KPMG, financial services companies. What was it like walking into uh, that kind
0: of, was it a startup culture when you walked in? Oh, absolutely. And it still is. Yeah, I mean, Eric, you know, Eric often refers to us. We're still, you know, we're, you know, a 10 year old public company, but we're a startup. And uh, still maintain that sort of startup mentality, uh, very flat organization, very agile, very nimble, you know, quick decisions. Um, you know, it's uh, very fluid. Um, dramatically different to, you know, the other places that I worked at. Um, uh, very professional. Um, obviously, they're all professional, uh, including here. They're um, great culture. Uh, the difference here is like the speed of decision making. It's kind of like it's really fast. It's like it's very simple. There's uh, very little bureaucracy. We just sort of uh, see an opportunity and go for it. And if we need a decision, you just pick up the phone, make you know, some, connect to somebody over Zoom, and boom, we're done. Um, it's very effective. Uh, it was a little, you know, I would say it took some adjustment uh, from you know my experience because you know sort of come from the school of sort of regular one-on-one meetings, regular team meetings, you know preparation for meetings, you know things of that nature uh, whereas uh here it's kind of like you know it's more about uh meet when we need to not just because it's scheduled. So when you came into Zoom prior
1: to uh covid hitting um was there a huge amount of your workforce that was already working remotely the way you are today, or was it a big shift to move everybody uh, right away to being remote?
0: Oh, so, you know, we, I don't remember the numbers, but we had a very large distributed workforce before COVID hit. Um, you know, whether it's Europe, you know, sort of, you know, if you take the East coast as an example, we got sort of the New York Metro area, the New York tri-state area, everybody's remote. We'd, Know, we had a you know satellite office is how I would call it. We had a you know a uh, flexible workspace which you know we used as a pit stop. Right, so if you're in New York and you needed somewhere to hang your hat and you know sort of recharge your your laptop or you know sort of uh, uh, wait for the next uh, in person meeting, you had a place to go. Um, so, uh, so you know, and then Asia, you know, a lot of, a lot of a lot of remote work. And then when COVID hit, you know, boom, right, hundred percent remote, and still are. So it's coming up to uh, coming up to now near on uh, one year when we've operated remotely, and about a third of our employees, at least a third of our employees, have actually been recruited during the during the uh, during twenty twenty. So they've never actually been to a Zoom office. It's like which is quite quite fascinating, right? (laughs) Right. Uh, You know, if if you know if, and this is just sort of just the uh, for the purpose of the conversation, if we said everybody back in the office tomorrow like we were, we wouldn't have enough office space.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: So, uh, and we've made the commitment to our employees that you know we're going to be very, um, we're going to be late back to the office. We're not rushing back to the office. We want to be super cautious, putting our people and their our employees first and their families, obviously. Um, so, safety is very much top of mind. And um, we, we said that, you know, the earliest we would go back to the office is, you know, the summer of 21, which I know is like every day we wake up or one day closer, right? But, uh, you know, and we've had some little conversations around that topic. Um, we're going to, we're also looking and observing what other companies are doing. And we saw the announcement from, I think it was Salesforce yesterday or the day before. Yeah, we, Salesforce just do? came out. Yeah, you can see what Facebook is doing. You can see what other technology companies are doing. And it's, um, and it's uh, very much like what I said before. It's like that, you know, the model has changed. It's like you go to the office when you need to work together as a group, and then you work from anywhere, um, when you don't need to work as a group. And, you know, we have many employees that have relocated to different parts of the nation, different parts of the country, you know, people who worked in Amsterdam, you know, sort of now working, you know, spending time in France as an example. And so you've got people who have moved around. Um, which i think is um i think that's healthy to be honest
1: yeah it's uh it, it's a different world for sure and uh I, I look at all of the um clients that we have in downtown san francisco and you know most of san francisco is a ghost town right now and it's going to be interesting to see what people go back to you know and then the suburbs are blowing up because Everybody knows they can use resources like Zoom, you know, like you and I are doing right now, and have a better way of life by not having that commute, by spending more time with their families. I mean, it's just, it's a better way of living through technology. And, you know, that's what we're going for.
0: Yeah, and there's uh, you know better work life balance, right? You know, you got a small kid. It's nice to work at home when your kid goes to school. It'd be nice to see your kid off to school on the bus in the morning. Be there when the kid gets home from when. Sorry, I shouldn't call him the kid. When Johnny gets home from school, <laughs> no, and, he's a kid. But uh, <laughs> he gets home from school. You know, make sure he has a snack. Make sure he's you know sort of uh, gets set up to do his homework. That's kind of nice. It's like it's a nice work life balance. Um, I think it's also you know. I mean, I haven't seen any measurements or reports on it, but I think you know, from us as individuals, it's making us healthier too. Yeah. I know a lot of people talk about the pandemic weight gain. It's like I've had the pandemic weight loss. I'm down, I think it's about um, 19 pounds since, uh, um, uh, since the pandemic started. Um, but I don't have so much stress in my life. I don't have, you know, I did an event in New York City this morning. It was 8.15 start and, you know, got up this morning, Showered, dressed, walked the puppy, um, you know, had breakfast with my wife, and, you know, at eight ten walked into my office, checked what happened, you know, email, and kicked into my eight fifteen meeting. If I hadn't done that over Zoom, John, I would have had to get up at like, you know, sort of five o'clock, done all those things, and then jumped on the train at like seven AM so that I could be in midtown Manhattan to go to a meeting. Yeah. This is so much nicer. Yeah and so much less stress on my body.
1: Yeah, exactly. Body, mind, heart, everything, you know? So when you went, when everything kicked off and you went from, what do you say? 10 million daily participants participants, up to 300 million. How did you and your team scale that quickly? I mean, that had to be drinking from a fire hose and working 24 hours
0: a day. Yeah, there was uh, many people who did, you know, some pretty heroic stuff. But let's um, uh, let's talk about a couple of things. So one is, you know, sort of, we have 19 colo data centers around the world, and all those colos um, uh, always had additional capacity to handle what we ex- what we projected to be peak volume. So we always had plenty of spare capacity, and we had always been predicting capacity needed so we were all, we had a, we're always in a constant upgrade and you know increasing our capacity uh, because we have a, a view into what our expectation is from a pipeline perspective and what that demand will be however you know to say that we predicted the demand that we were going to get as a consequence of covid-19 would have, would will, is a lie because we didn't <laughs> right. you know no one nobody knew that um, Uh, so a couple of other things, uh, kicked in one is we have great partners, uh, great partners on the network side, great partners on the hardware side. So when we needed additional capacity, they were right there, you know, sort of working with us, uh, you know, side by side network upgrades normally take 90 days, uh, as an example. And, uh, I remember when we, um, uh, signed a contract with a big educational organization here in New York city. Uh, On a Friday, we had immediate needs for network upgrades, and they were completed in 72 hours, which normally would have taken 90 days, and that's pretty cool. So, you know, that's one. Uh, Two is, um, uh, when you look at our architecture and how it works, so we have, you know, in the US, as an example, we have data centers on the East Coast, we've got data centers in the center, we've got data centers on the West Coast. And so, when the sun comes up in the east, our east coast data centers start getting busy, right? And, um, but if they need additional capacity, they can borrow from the center, they can borrow from California. And then, as the sun continues to go across to the west, you know, New York will get quieter, and therefore, you know, center and west can borrow from the east coast. So, we're, we have this ability to be able to borrow capacity from one of our other colos uh to uh, uh, share the share the demand and the load and the third and last point is we also leverage cloud we leverage the amazon cloud and the oracle cloud um, primarily for our free uh, what we call our basic service our free service uh, so that we can maintain our colo capacity which is um, uh, uh, which we manage and oversee uh, lower latency etc so we maintain the colo capacity for our enterprise and paid customers um and move the free to the cloud so yeah i'm betting that was uh that was
1: quite an experience to go through i would uh, yeah, i figure was, you know we, yeah. we, we we all went through a bunch of crazy stuff but i can only imagine because there's no way to ever prepare for what you guys had to go through um what what are some of the biggest lessons that you walked away from that experience with um, to look forward to maybe something else happen in the future
0: yeah so you know it's um you know i I remember when we you know when we made the decision to give our software away uh free to schools um you know sort of uh uh not having thought through what does that mean you know for example that's just one example so it's like you know you have the teacher and the class and we're giving it away for free and they're gonna hold the classes on meetings. Well, you know, having the default set up, having, you know, meeting rooms set up, having the right setup for a teacher to instruct the class, having the right controls in place. Um, uh, so, you know, it's a sort of, it's a more examination of, uh, okay, well, is this, a, this is a good idea, good. So, you know, h- how can we make sure it's gonna really work as intended? I think that's a, a part of it. We, you know, we didn't we didn't realize that you know sort of the big demand on the platform uh, was going to come to us from consumers doing yoga classes and birthday parties and church services and things of that nature. So, uh, and we were designed, you know, for the enterprise um, where you have great IT organizations who train their users, set up the right defaults, set up the right domain controls, and things of that nature. And, uh, so there's a bunch of, uh, lessons to be learned, uh, in there. So it's, um, but it was all good. It's uh, it was a, you know, it's uh, I learned some, I learned some new things there like, you know, uh, I've always sort of understood the need not of not to panic, but you know, sort of, uh, it was, uh, it was a, it was a good experience. So now,
1: like we talked about before zoom's a household name, like we said, churches, schools, happy hours, family reunions. Um. more users opens up more vulnerabilities you know so you know the, the well-publicized zoom bombing as they called it um, this past year how did things change with uh, your organization given these new security issues
0: yeah so you know, we did a lot of work. Um, we we you know we, we uh, took our entire engineering team and had them focus exclusively on privacy and security for 90 days. Uh, we took all of the security controls and we bundled them together. We created the data center selection tool so that uh, enterprise clients can select which data centers they want to uh, have their meetings hosted, so giving them control, which was a first in the industry you know we upgraded to uh, 5.0 and uh, that came with AES 256 encryption we did our first acquisition with a company called Keybase which is a team of cryptographers who then worked with us to um uh finalize our details around our end-to-end encrypted service which we launched the end of October for 100 concurrent participants and then recently upgraded that to a 1000 and so you know it's um you know, when you look at that growth trajectory that we went through, John, it's kind of like most companies would love to go through that trajectory over the course of two years. We did that over the course of four months. If we'd gone through you know, over two years, then there would have been a constant sort of um, uh, work going on uh, from a privacy and security perspective. But because we went through that whoop, it's like we had to flip the organization uh, to catch up to sort of where we needed to be. Uh, Last point is that, you know, when you look at where we are today, we get a lot of credit from a variety of different organizations. We have a CISO Council with 36 of uh, CISOs from around the world, different industries, some of the largest companies in the world, and you look at the analysts giving us feedback on what we've done over the last year from a privacy and security perspective. Um, And you look at some of the things that we're now doing, it's kind of like we're going beyond what we, you know, sort of what we set out to do where we're sort of using uh, uh, tools to uh, scour, looking for meetings that have been shared in the public domain to alert you to say, hey, John, that four o'clock meeting that you're having with these 10 people, somebody has shared those meeting details in a public forum. So you might want to think about changing the meeting setup because things happen, not, you know, people, people don't, well, people you and I work with don't wake up in the morning thinking about doing bad things but you know things happen by accident it's kind of like car you know car accidents do happen people do things with a good intention but it may have a negative it may have a negative consequence and so we're looking to sort of see how can we be uh, preventative and proactive in alerting to you about things that you uh, may not want to happen yeah they get uh,
1: it's a great point because uh- one of my friends is a head of security over at Charles Schwab. And he said the same thing when the, they had to move everybody to remote, they had roughly 5,000 people in India who had never worked remote before. So he said, now you've got people working from Starbucks, all these different places, and they don't mean to do anything wrong. It just happens. And you've got all these other people who are, you know, diving into their information or logging into their information. So it's just a bunch of different things that sometimes you don't even think about until you are forced to think about it.
0: Yeah. yeah. And you know, it's a, it's the notion that, you know, you take your friend to Charles Schwab, he's got 5,000 people in India working from home. He's now got 5,000 more offices. He needs to manage. Exactly. It's true. Yeah, it's like, it, you know, that's the, that's the, you know, cause you think about this, you think about my network connection that I got going at home. You know, uh, you think about eavesdropping, you think about all sorts of things that can go wrong. You think about network capacity. Uh, you think about sort of when you think about banks and, you know, sort of the way they do everything through VPN, you know, enabling split tunneling and, you know, sort of going out to other services. You think about the complexity that's gone up. It's, you know, orders of magnitude, many more complexities than what they had before. Right. Zoom's market share
1: is way ahead of everyone else, you know. so. First of all, why is that? Second of all, how do you stay there?
0: Uh, Love that question. Thank you. (laughs) So, uh, so the, the, the why and the how, so the why, um, uh, is, you know, when zoom was founded by Eric, 10 years ago, he founded it on five core principles. So one ease of use, so easy to use, you click the link, you're in the meeting, bingo, it's kind of like it takes you less than you know, 10 seconds to join a meeting, probably less than five, I should actually measure it so I know, uh, but it's, it's so quick, it's kind of like it's almost you know, sort of instantaneous. No stress, no meeting tax, uh, always successful on any device, anywhere, anytime. Um, you've got six year olds to 106 year olds using it. So clearly, it's um, uh, easy to use uh, you know, incredible reliability. We went through that growth trajectory and we maintained our service levels. We maintain, maintain high customer satisfaction scores and high net promoter scores. The third point is, uh, you know, innovating at speed and scale. We were the first with many of the features, like, you know, virtual background, like video backgrounds, like, you know, if I share content, I can share content as my virtual background. So I can present like as if I was in the boardroom, typically in the boardroom, and I'm sure you've seen this, John, it's like people put up the PowerPoint slides and it's on the big screen behind them, right? right. So to be able to mimic that in a virtual environment, um, uh, you know, which, which hits on sort of what's our, what's our mission and vision. Our mission is about empowering people to accomplish more and the vision is about how can you make a virtual event as uh, good, if not better, than an in-person event. Uh, the fourth principle that Zoom was founded on was their uh, price. Um, you know, it's the price of a cup of coffee once a week. It's not, you know, it's not that, you know, on a retail basis. And then when you get into the enterprise space, it's even less expensive. And then the fifth was privacy and security, which we already talked about. So that's the, that's the why. And then how, you know, it's all about innovating at speed and scale. We listen to our customers all the time. We have, you know, I mean, many tens of thousands of customers around the world in all different industries and in something like 226 countries and territories. So we get constant feedback. We have a client advisory board we get feedback from. We have a CISO council we get feedback from. We have a financial services industry council. We work with the educational institutions and get feedback from them. Uh, so, we're you know, legal, it's kind of like, you know, healthcare. It's kind of, we're constantly getting feedback and so that's all coming in and then we you know sort of uh, keep maintaining and uh, introducing uh, new features and new capabilities we talked about it just before we recently introduced the virtual receptionist We're now you know we uh, introduce the ability to be able to uh, take your mobile device and um, have it tether with a zoom room so that when you when people go back to the office they don't need to touch the controller in the room. They can control the room from their personal device. Uh, we're introducing uh, voice activation. Hey Zoom, start meeting. Hey Zoom, join meeting. Hey Zoom, schedule meeting. Uh, things of that sort. So voice activation is very much a part of it. Environmentals, uh, looking at monitoring temperatures, uh, carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, uh, humidity in the room. People count, counting the people in the room, and. Um, uh, you know, counting people in the room is uh, interesting from a commercial real estate perspective. If I have three rooms with capacity for six people each, are these rooms being used? If they are, great. Maybe I need to build a fourth room. If they're not being used, maybe I don't need three rooms with that capacity, and I can reduce the rooms and use that for other capabilities. So, helping helping the uh, corporate real estate guys manage their facilities better. And then, lastly, is you know sort of. Uh, we talked a little bit about what we're doing on the AI side from, you know, sort of looking at being proactive around uh, meeting, uh, meeting details that have been shared on social media so you can avoid uh, having sort of strangers appear in your meeting, if you will. Uh, but we're also uh, looking at how we apply AI in the rooms because, you know, it's, uh, uh, when, when we do these types of meetings, there's been a complete democratization, if you will of the meetings the hierarchies aren't there Uh, everybody's head is the same size and so how do you maintain that when people go back to the office because imagine there's two there's you and me and there's three people in a conference room typically it'd be you and me and then one tile down here showing the conference room with three little heads Um, that's not right so what we're doing is we're using artificial intelligence to identify that there's three people not the people, but identify there are three people in that conference room, show the conference room, but then show the three individuals as tiles um, on the endpoint for you and me to see so we can be engaging with those people because video is the new voice. Those are just a set of examples we're, we're doubling down on everything that we're doing on meetings. You know, our webinar platform has seen phenomenal growth, so we're, you know, cre- taking a lot of the features out of our meetings platform putting that into the webinar platform we have our zoom phone platform that we introduced a little over two years ago january of 19. um at that point it was uh, you know in uh, uh, two countries now it's in 44 countries and we're adding three more next week so it'll be up to 47 and we did 400 features just on phone last year alone um new features on that on the zoom phone platform and then you've got our chat platform, which we're doubling down on and, um, uh, doing things like persistent whiteboarding and what have you. And then you've got, you know, our on zoom platform, which is enabling, uh, you know, organizations to take their businesses online. So if you were a yoga instructor, as an example, and you want to do your yoga classes, you can you know, host that on zoom. We take care of all the uh, infrastructure. We take care of all the billing for you, and you can focus on class content and class material, and giving you the ability to sort of manage that. And um, so we see that as a as a great opportunity for people as well, not just on individuals, but for the enterprise as well. Because you think about it, you know, as an enterprise, you want to offer benefits to your employees. You want, you know, it's like. Uh, you might have had like the health club. You might have, when you went to the office, they might have had, you know, sort of yoga classes in the afternoon. Well, if people are working from anywhere, how do I continue to provide those perks to my employees when they're working from anywhere? It's so
1: interesting and fun to watch technology develop, you know, and I did a, I did a blog about six months before uh, COVID hit talking about, by the year 2024, over 50% of the people, uh, the workforce was gonna be working remotely. When COVID hit, boom, it just uh, it drove it to, okay, now 90% of the people are working remotely.
0: You went four years in, you know, in a day.
1: Yeah, exactly. So uh, the interesting part with me having a two and a half year old at home, I get to watch the development of this small mind with technology and myself, I'm 48 years old, Watching Millennials and Gen Z, how they've embraced digital technology. um, As far as I'm concerned, they're they're like the first generation who are completely in tune and don't know any different from this is just the way the world is. And when I watched little Johnny on his iPad at two, two and a half years old, the things that he does, swiping, doing all the things, I mean, just like things that I had to learn, you had to learn, They just, that's just the way the world is. So I've got another neighbor that their kid's 20 years old. He doesn't want a driver's license. You know, to me, that's all you wanted at 16 years old. Get me to my driver's license test as soon as possible. You know, and it's just the way they think it's a whole different way of thinking. And it's going to be interesting to see them step up over the next 20 years and run this world um how- how do you look at that generation how do you manage that generation because you've i'm sure you've got some of those people working for you how how do you how do you kind of look at that uh millennial and gen z uh generation as far as uh
0: their future yeah great question so uh, you know we're a very young company and we're you know we were born in the cloud we're you know and um We do have uh, a lot of people who it's like their first, second, or you know perhaps a third spot. We've also got some more experienced people who you know been around the block. Um, uh, That being said, it's like you know you're absolutely right. You know, sort of millennials and Gen Z, they're just sort of they you know not interested in a desk phone. This this is the only phone that they have and the only phone they will ever have. Maybe they you know. Some like to have two, right? One for the one for business, one for personal use. So when they go out with friends, they can leave the business one at home, so they're not bothered. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, it's a um, it's a it's interesting to look at the millennials and Gen Z and how technically literate they are. When you think of Johnny, you know, at, at two and a half, you know, fast forward twenty years from now when he's 22 and a half you think about technically literate he will be irrespective of what industry he will be going into so it's uh, it's kind of fun to watch this transition I was talking to one of our clients this morning about our zoom phone platform and the need for desk phones and it's uh, it's clearly a generational thing you know sort of people who are more senior in their career are you know sort of uh, longer in tenure is probably a good way to put it um, they really want that desk phone um, but they want the experience of sort of being able to pick up the handset um and then sort of you know elevate it into video or elevate it into content sharing so they they want all that but they but they don't want to do it through their laptop because they're used to you know they're on a phone so so we have a, a phone you know we have a, a device happening in that space that you know, they'll be able to pick up the phone and with a single button have elevate that phone call into video or content sharing and things of that nature so
1: I think back, just to, just piggybacking off of what you just talked about, the first time that you and I talked, I was on my headset, and you're like, why are you using the headset? <laughs> it's probably because of what you're talking about. I've worn a headset in uh, you know my career for 25 years, probably just used to it, and don't even think about it. I just dial in and that's probably why you guys have a dial-in feature for Zoom anyway is because of dinosaurs like myself being used to that way of working.
0: Yeah, and some places don't have good Wi-Fi coverage and you know, cellular coverage isn't great either. So you, know, you need to be able to have the ability for people to connect.
1: St. Patrick's Day is coming up. Yes. And uh, you grew up in Dublin. Yes. Did you know from an early age that you were coming to the U S or what, what brought you to the U S
0: you really want to know? Yeah. So I was, uh, working for a, uh, a software company in London and, um, uh, you know, I, uh, had my annual review, uh, which was stellar and, uh, they, um, they, they increased my salary by 10%, um, which was uh, still relatively insignificant. So I quit my job and uh, I got another job for, you know, twice the salary in a company car and came back into the office to pick up some personal belongings. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this person I work with, Mike said, I need 10 minutes of your time. And I said to Mike, um, Mike, you know, there's nothing to talk about. It's kind of like I've quit and I got a new job and you know, I'm starting on Monday. And uh, he said, I just want 10 minutes. 10 minutes isn't going to hurt you and it could change your life. And uh, I, I remember standing there thinking to myself, I was 1978, I was 23. And uh, sorry, 20 I was 1979. I was standing there thinking to myself, it's like, you know, where where, where are you rushing to? It's like, okay, Mike's always been a good guy. He's been like my rabbi, I'll give him 10 minutes. He walked me upstairs and I met the president of our New York office. And he said, look, I heard what happened last week. Um, We're gonna increase your salary by a thousand pounds. We will fly you and your wife to New York first class. We'll put you up in a two bedroom apartment, give you an expense account. We'll give you a Wall Street Journal. You'll have air conditioning. We'll get you a cleaning lady. And, uh, and, uh, we'd love you to come to New York for six months. That's what happened.
1: That's awesome. A life changer.
0: it's like, you know, it came for six months being here for, uh, coming up to 42 years, that's great. So
1: what, what got you interested in technology in the first place?
0: Uh, well, when I, when I studied at university, uh, I studied engineering, um, and uh as part of the engineering course you did math and uh and computer science so you know back then you know i was programming on a mainframe uh with punch cards so
1: was it uh as for sure many
0: many of, the, many of the many 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 of the listeners to this podcast probably don't even know what a punch card is gonna, <laughs> they, they should google punch card and see what it looks like Oh yeah, but uh, you know it's uh, you know there's a we have this saying in tech, and I'm sure you've heard it before. It's never been a better time to be in tech, and I think that's always been true, and I think it's even more true today than it ever was. When you look at sort of things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, AR, VR, IoT, five G, and six G coming right behind it. I mean. When you think about sort of the capabilities that these technologies will enable us to do, we've hardly even scratched the surface on what we're going to be able to do with these things, whether it's, you know, sort of, um, you know, sort of helping people see, helping people walk, uh, you know, look at the science that we've done, look at, look at the vaccine, the vaccines that have been produced in the, you know, in, you know, inside of not even a year, it's like, it's less than a year. It took to sort of create these vaccines i think the flu vaccine i can't remember how many years it took to sort of create that
1: yeah what used to what used to take three or four years was done in eight months nine months
0: yeah you look at autonomous vehicles i was like yesterday you know i was talking to the cio of one of the national carriers here and it's kind of like well planes have been autonomous for you know since since uh time began she told she said the story um uh, that in the future, the cockpit will be you know, a, uh, a captain and a dog, and the captain is there to make the people feel comfortable, and the dog is there. I can't remember why the dog is there, but... Uh, <laughs> but <anyway. laughs> it's like, like
1: here, here in the Bay Area, uh, BART, the Bay Area Rapid Transit, there, there's a person in there, but it's all run by a computer, so the person is there to make the people feel comfortable. Yeah. you know, and that's been that way for decades.
0: I think, you know, I think autonomous vehicles will be great. It's kind of like, you know, I've got, you know, I've got a Tesla, which is, you know, semi-autonomous is the way I feel about it. It's kind of like, it's just uh, additional controls. Um, I use it as additional safety features. That's how I think about it. I would never, don't think I could give full control to the car to make turns. I, I mean, I, it's like when I, when I do the self-parking, um, it's kind of like, I think every time I do the self-parking, I think it takes a year off my life. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever tried it, but it is a little nerve-wracking. Well, going back to... And it works really well, by the way.
1: I've done it. I've, I've done it on my car. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. I'm, the first time, my heart was beaten. Right? Yeah. Is this so, car really going to stop? Ah! Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so
0: going yeah. back to the past, what did your parents do? Uh, so um, my mother was a homekeeper okay and uh, she was responsible for uh, raising my sister and myself and uh, my father uh, initially was a commercial traveler uh, so he used to sort of um, go on the road every Monday and travel down the country selling wares for you know other companies and um, then he got a small start at uh, making beds um, and he and my mom started making beds at home by hand, selling selling them as secondhand beds in the newspaper, and uh, then they got enough money together to start a factory, and um, and that led to uh, furniture and property and all sorts of stuff. So it was uh, got a lot of inspiration from my dad. Um,
1: Sounds like a real entrepreneur.
0: Yeah, and it's like you know uh, worked really hard and. Um, you know, he fundamentally believes that you know, sort of, you you have to make an investment to get a return, and that investment can be time. You know, just like money, it's kind of like you you know, you don't. It's uh, um, you know, you got to put things in uh, to get something out. It's not about. It's not always about the company providing for you. You got to you got to make a contribution to the company. And um, you know, when I reflect on my career, I've always put my head down. Um, done whatever I could, uh, do, try to do the right thing, try to make the best contribution I can. And my attitude has been sort of uh, uh, two things are going to happen. Either I'll be recognized and rewarded or I won't be recognized. I won't be recognized and I won't be rewarded. And then I have a decision to make. And uh, so I, I've never had to make that negative decision. I've only, I have made the negative decision. I've decided to leave organizations when I wasn't having fun anymore because I fundamentally believe if you're not having fun and you're not enjoying the opportunity and you don't see the, um, the value uh, creation that you can be by being there, then uh, you shouldn't be there because you're not going to do a great job. You know, Eric, our CEO and founder, frequently says, if you're not happy, then don't come to work because uh, if you're not happy at work, you're not going to do a good job. So his attitude is stay home. Take the day off, figure out what's not making you happy, fix it, and then come back. Because then when you come back, you'll have come back with a clear head and you can really focus on getting, you know, on making a great contribution. I think I like that. And I think that makes an awful lot of common sense.
1: It's a beautiful thought, you know, and it's like just uh, thinking while you're talking there. It's funny how people who work really hard and do the next right thing always seem to get lucky.
0: I don't think it's luck. I just think it's, um, I just think it's recognition. I don't think yeah. it's
1: luck. No, I think I was trying to use a little bit of sarcasm there
0: because it's not luck at all. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Good. All right. So very much on the same page.
1: So I see that uh, you're a board member uh, for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of New York City. Um, tell me what got you interested in that organization, and uh, give me your uh, kind of uh, feedback on philanthropy.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I think it's incumbent, I'll start with the second part first, uh, you know, I think it's incumbent upon sort of people who've been successful, um, and I've had a very fortunate career, um, uh, to sort of give back and to help those less fortunate. You know, it's, um, when I go back to uh, 2001, when I first got, uh, uh, first got, uh, uh to know uh, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society it literally happened like this. Some, I was at Credit Suisse and uh, somebody sent me an email, I'm going to do America's most beautiful bike ride. So, you know, in those days you'd print emails. We'd never, we, it's like you'd never do that today. <laughs> I, printed a, I printed off the email. I went next to the office next door and I said to my buddy, Andrew, it's Andrew, I think we should do this. So Andrew digs into his pocket, he pulls out a hundred dollars and go here, leave me alone. And I'm like, no, no, it's like, you know, it's not about making a donation, Andrew. It's about, I think we should do the ride. So it was America's most beautiful ride, right? We talked about that in, uh, up front, uh, you know, a hundred miles around Lake Tahoe. And uh, Andrew says, it's like, there's no way. It's like, you know, I could do this ride. And I said, come on, Andrew. It's kind of like, you know, we sit around too much. We have a beautiful gym in the basement of our building. You know, they have uh, spin classes over lunch. Um, he said, "I don't even have a bike." I said, "Look, do me a favor. Go home, talk to Kira. Kira's his wife. Go home, talk to Kira, and uh, see what uh, see what Kira says." And uh, so, okay, fine. Following morning, so what did Kira say? Come to buy me a bike. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I, you know, and I've done that ride every year since. Uh, I didn't do it 2020 because they cancelled it, obviously, um, and I didn't do it in 2000 and. Um, 2004 uh, but other than that i've done it every year and uh, helped raise lots of money for ls why is uh you know i i think it's um, you know as i said i think it's important for you know people who've had you know uh, great careers to give back i just think that's uh necessary why because i think it's important for their colleagues to see, I think it's important for their families to see. I think it's important for their children or friends to see that you're giving back. I think that it's really important. Uh, LLS is uh, truly uh, special. Um, you know, when you see, you know, somebody uh, who's diagnosed with blood cancer, it uh, doesn't matter if they're, you know, two months old. It doesn't matter if they're 80 years old. Doesn't matter what their nationality is. Doesn't matter what their religion is. Doesn't matter what their ethnicity is. Um, uh, they get hit, and it's like you know. And when you see what this does to a family when they wake up one morning and they get that phone call, it like it just destroys them. I remember uh, one year doing America's most beautiful bike ride, and I was um, riding from. Um, Kings beach up to, uh, up up Spooner. I don't know if you've, you've probably driven it. I don't know if you have ever yeah. biked up that <laughs> you know, it's an 11 mile ride uphill and, uh, you know, it's a four know, to 6% grade. It's uh, pretty tough and I got about halfway up and, um, there's like this, uh, water, you know, it's like a little parking area where they have a water stand. And so I pulled in to get some water and, uh, this woman said to me, why are you doing the ride? And I said, because I can. And uh, uh, so she said, no, no. so why are you doing the right? I said, I'm sorry, uh, it's because I can. So she said, well, you must have some reason why you're doing it. Have you had any cancer in your family? I said, no. So she said, why are you doing it? And I said, because I can. It's like I'm just doing it to help raise funds for blood cancers. So this woman started bawling her eyes out. And she said, that's so incredibly generous of you to give your time for this. Um, I really appreciate it, uh, uh, eight years ago when my son was seven, uh, we took him in because he wasn't well to the doctor and the doctor says, you need to see a pediatric oncologist and, uh, thank- thankfully from the research that LLS did in cancer drugs, blood cancer related drugs, my son is now 15 and he's been in remission for years. So I wanted to thank you personally for what you do. And when you you know you're making impact on lives like that, that's just you know, there's no other thing other than like wow. And I remember that um, meeting that woman on that ride, and I remember I had you know I was about halfway up, so I had another five miles to go. My my before I stopped, my legs were hurting. I was sweating. I was like, why am I doing this? I'm doing it because of her. I had no pain it was easy to get up the rest of that. It's like I powered up that hill and, uh, I'm very thankful I had the opportunity and the support to do that.
1: That's amazing. And it's a, thank you for sharing that story. That, that's the reason you go back every year. That is the reason I go back every year. And
0: this year, unfortunately, they're making it virtual. I'm not sure how you do America's most beautiful bike ride virtually. So, um, a bunch of my uh, friends were doing America's most beautiful bike ride in Westchester this year. And we're trying to corral a lot of our friends and colleagues and see if we can uh, at least emulate some of America's most beautiful bike ride here on the East coast. So, uh, wish us luck on that. I will. So when you come back in 2022, um, you,
1: you you and I'll stay in touch and uh, we'll get together. Sounds like a plan, John. So I just got a couple more questions for you. Um these are pretty uh layup uh softball questions. So um what is your proudest achievement in life? Uh clearly my kids. Perfect. What book should everybody watching and listening to this right now read in your opinion?
0: Well, there's, uh, uh, up until recently, I would have said uh, uh, one book, and then recently a second book. Um, so the first book I would have said was uh, No Room for Small Dreams. It's the uh, autobiography of uh, Shimon Peres, um, Prime Minister of Israel. And um, it's, uh, it's quite the read, and it just it sort of reinforces, if you will, the power of I can do this. I, I will get this done and I will not accept. No, no is not part of the vocabulary. And, uh, there's a, uh, there's a paragraph in, 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 and it, it reads like a thriller, by the way, it doesn't read like an autobiography. It absolutely reads like a thriller. And, uh, there's a paragraph in there, uh, which I love to share. And it reads something like the following. Uh, there's, um, I have been accused by many people in many languages of seeing life through too rosy a lens. The world is full of pessimists and optimists. Uh, why on earth would you want to go through life as a pessimist, being downtrodden and disappointed? Um, uh, life is too short, uh, and that just was uh, that just uh, that just sort of uh, very impactful to me. And it's so true. It's like, wouldn't you rather? of see the glasses half full and how do you fill it up yeah and the other book i got introduced to recently um and i've forgotten the name of the author uh it's called the essentialist uh and it's uh you know focuses on sort of uh sort of the you know, better to do a few things extraordinarily well than lots of things with mediocrity so true yeah it is true actually so, what is the secret to your success? Oof, thank God, it's, uh, I don't know if there's any secret. <laughs> um, I don't know, it's like, you know, I enjoy, I've always enjoyed what I've done. It's like, you know, it's uh, as a leader, you know, my number one objective was uh, how do I, you know, how do I um, make the people around me successful? And, you know, because if they're successful, then, you know, we as a team will be successful. And it's that's, that's very much the culture at Zoom, to be honest, which is we don't think of our clients as clients. We think of our clients as partners. Mm-hmm. And so we're all about making sure that our partners are successful because if they're successful, we'll be successful. And that's, uh, you know, so it's uh, quite easy. And I think that um, another point is, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, you should be, you know, helping others, uh, uh, helping others be successful, not looking for anything in return. I think that's super important. It's like, you know, I think that, um, that's a, that's a good, um, that's a good thing to do. Amen to that. So two more questions. What is next for Harry Mosley? Just going to continue to do what I do and uh, continue to have fun and enjoy it. And so it's, uh, you know, at some point in the future, yes, it's like no secret. I, it's like everybody, it's like there will come a time when I will get back to retirement. But um, right now, I'm having too much fun. I enjoy too much what I do. I love the people I work with. I love this company and uh, I love working with our clients. And uh, You know, going back to, you know, it's uh, going back to that mission, empowering people to accomplish more. I love it. It's like, it's just so great. Well, you guys are doing a hell of a job.
1: It's a great tool. My company uses it every single day, multiple times. And, uh, you know, it's just, it really is um, something that empowers us to do a job that wasn't done this way just a year ago. You know, so it's pretty cool. So the name of this podcast is the True Ambition Podcast, and uh, I named it that way because out of a book, out of my 12-step program, because I've been sober for six and a half years, out of that book it says that true ambition is not what we thought it was. True ambition is the profound desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God. When I read that five plus years ago, it kind of changed my life because prior to that, I was... ambitious to get money, to get women, to get power, to get cars, get whatever it was, you know, that uh, when my perspective was changed, now my ambition is something completely different. And when I did that, it kind of opened up my life. So my question for you is you've been around the world. You've done a lot of things. Being where you've been, knowing what you know now, what is your true ambition? Two ways. One in your career and one in your personal life moving forward.
0: Yeah, so um, uh, my personal life, my uh, uh, number one objective is to spend you know, more time with my kids. Uh, like I said before, you know sort of they may not want it, but I'll find a way to make it happen. You know' it's, uh, I'm going to go uh, whitewater rafting down Snake River in Hell's Canyon in August with my daughter. I've never, never, I've never had a vacation with my daughter one-on-one. Um, so we're going to take a week and, uh, five days of it. We'll be, uh, cruising down the, uh, uh, snake river in hell's Canyon and, uh, really looking forward to that. And, um, uh, my younger son, uh, he and I drove, uh, I promised him when I retired, <laughs> I promised him when I retired, I'd drive him back to school. He was studying at Cal Poly in St. Louis Obispo. So we literally, we drove from New York to California in my model S and, uh, we spent 12 days together in the car. Uh, that was an experience that I will never forget. And I know he will never forget. And it was wonderful. Um, and, uh, I'm going to go uh, mountain biking in South Africa, uh, in November with my eldest son who lives in Zurich and, um. So, you know, it's like, and then, you know, my wife and I will do things with the kids as well as, you know, so individually and as a family. So I definitely want to do more things like that, um, with my family and friends, uh, in the future. Um, and then on the professional side, I want to, you know, it's, uh, you know, Eric, Eric has built an amazing company. I mean, it's, uh, the product is fast, is fantastic. It gets stronger and better literally every day. Uh, he is a terrific leader. I love working with him. I love working with the management team here. Uh, I love working with our clients, and I want to continue on that journey as long as I can. Um, it's uh, truly uh, been, um, I, I, you know, it's like I said before, it's like I'm very fortunate. I've been very fortunate throughout my career, and here I am again being very fortunate at having such a wonderful person to work with with because i don't work we don't work for each other we work together with each other that has a great culture um and uh there's a lot of flexibility and uh, so i'm able to have sort of a good life and uh, make a contribution at the same time
1: awesome well harry i appreciate you joining us here today on the true ambition podcast and i'll look forward to meeting up with you face to face in tahoe after uh, all this crazy COVID stuff is, you know, hopefully in the, on the horizon. So yep. uh, I appreciate it so much and uh, keep up the great work.
0: Thank you, John. Uh, pleasure meeting you. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I, I'll share one last point with you, which was shared with me when I was, um, when I was 12 and my dad was uh, in the operating room. Uh, um, I was sitting outside the operating room with my uncle, and um, uh, this is what he said to me. He said, "Mary, Harry, one day you will grow up and you will have children, please God. And when you do, uh, you're gonna do uh, things for your children and you'll do things with your children. You need to know the things you do for your children, they will never remember. They will remember the things that you do with your children. So I ask you to spend doing and do lots of things with Johnny because those are the things he will remember. I appreciate it, uh, I appreciate the advice
1: and uh, I appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you, thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for tuning in everybody. Uh, We'll see you next time on the True Ambition Podcast.
0: The True Ambition Podcast is brought to you by IT Avalon. For more information and links to other episodes, Please visit www.TrueAmbition.org. Now, go find your true
1: ambition.